WFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. The May gray is gone, right, Joey? All of a sudden, June happens. It's not even really summer yet till the end of June. And the sun comes out glorious. Oh, it is coming out with a vengeance right now. I know. It's pretty warm out there. So do you think this means we won't have a June gloom or? Gosh, you know, I'm still anticipating it. I'm still anticipating it. Yeah, because May was pretty darn good. That was a little weird. And I have a little seasonal affective disorder. I even notice it on a few cloudy days. I Mm. like a lot of light coming into my life. Um, okay. well, that's why I'm here, right? Right, exactly. Hey. That's why Joey's here. <laughs> Josh is here. Larry Perel's here. We're all here. Um, all right, so what's coming up today in the show? We have uh, my famous Should I Stay or Should I Go segment, or infamous segment, uh, starting at 4.30. If you're in a relationship and you're not sure if there are too many cold pricklies or warm fuzzies and where to draw the line and whether it's time to break up or not, then give me a call and let me weigh in. Uh, I will announce the number next segment. We're going to talk a little bit about children of divorced parents and things that we need to say to them. Later in the 5 o'clock hour, I have an amazing guest, Dr. Anthony, let me see if I say it right, De Benedict. De Benedict. there we go, uh, who has a great book on playfulness and playful intelligence is what it's called. And I love playfulness and adult playfulness. Did you know that's what sex is, by the way? I mean, this book's not about sex, but really, sex is two infants playing with each other, but as adults, you let all the, you should let all your defenses go, and you should just play, right? Uh, so it would be great talking to him. Then after that, we are going to talk a little bit about aging well and certain personality traits, some that can be cultivated that help people live longer. Um, so we got lots, lots for you today. Yesterday, I was down in Costa Mesa meeting so many KFI listeners. It's always a treat to get out of the studio, get out there into the beautiful city of Los Angeles and meet KFI listeners. And we had one of our Liftik Lunch and Learn events, and this was Beauty and Below, where we were not only talking about beauty up above our shoulders, but we were talking about female sexual health. So it was a fascinating day. Always a treat. When, when you hear me talking about another one of those Liftique events, uh, you should come because it's, it's a great community of women and men who come out. Uh, but the below part, we like just women. You know, we get together and gossip. So this week in the news, I have a couple things I want to talk about. One is uh, Roseanne. If you've been living under a rock, you might not have heard that Roseanne's show, the new rebooted Roseanne Barr show, was canceled because of a racist tweet. And then... Samantha B, the TBS late night, sort of late night host, uh, also made an insensitive remark on her show. And the media treated each of those differently. So let's first talk about the latest with Roseanne. So um, if you didn't know, she there was a big controversy last week where she tweeted a tweet where she compared uh, Valerie, Valerie Jarrett, former Obama... What was her job in the Obama administration? Somebody figure that out. An official advisor to President Obama. Uh, and she compared him to basically a Muslim ape. Enough said. Um, and so she said she was going to go off Twitter, but she didn't. So you really should follow her because she's pretty much having a field day with Twitter. She's as much fun to follow, I think, as President Obama. There's lots going on in her Twitter. She keeps saying she's leaving Twitter, but then she comes back, especially in the middle of the night. And the latest is she's been apologizing to the world, of course, but now she's apologizing specifically 
to the actress, the nine-year-old actress, Jaden Ray, who played her granddaughter on the series. And I think she's been apologizing to everybody who lost their jobs. That's the real sad part of it. Um, my favorite tweet of this whole news cycle was when she blamed it on that she was on, was it Ambien? Yeah, she was on Ambien, she said, and she's sorry she wasn't quite thinking. And uh, the pharmaceutical company that manufactures Ambien made a tweet basically saying that, you know, many of our drugs have side effects, but so far we have never found any of our drugs to have the side effect called racism. <laughs> That's called throwing shade. I said that to my 14-year-old daughter. I go, that was great shade. She goes, did you really say that was great shade? I'm like, yes, I did. I pick stuff up. I get it. Um, a little science, because I don't like to just gossip here. I want to throw some science in. A new study, uh, which is coming out in the journal Intelligence, adds a growing body of literature that indicates that less intelligent people tend to express more prejudice. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who opposes, say, same-sex couples or is racist is unintelligent because we know there are lots of smart people who are racist and prejudiced as well. So I want to say that clear. But this was a particular study where they uh, gave adults three cognitive tests, a reading test, a symbol digits test, and a backward digit span test. Joey, do you know what the backward digit span the span test is no, never it's heard of it. awful so when you give the stanford binet or the ways whatever it is the ways test intelligent test you read aloud a list of numbers and then the other person has to verbally say them back to you backwards oh so it's all easy look i'll do it for a minute for a second with you so i say one three and you say three one and i say one three six six three one exactly one three six nine nine six three one one three six nine eleven. Eleven nine six three one. It's gonna get hard, Joey. Okay, I know you have a young brain, but you will mess up if I keep going. It gets to the point where there yeah. might be a list of like seventeen numbers that you're repeating wow. and backwards. That sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, and they're not always in. I, I did them in the same order. They sometimes give you. They give you new. Sets. I was expecting that. I, I was. Uh, expecting yeah, I was the trying to be ball. easy on you. Here. <laughs> um, so here's what they found after they controlled for a number of socio-democratic and economic demographic and economic variables, including education. They found that uh, people who were less intelligent tended to be more prejudiced. Uh, why would that be? Maybe, maybe people who have less intelligence need very simple, straight and forward schema. They can't imagine thinking out of the box. And so therefore, that very simple schema might mean that uh, that will come out as being prejudiced in some way. Yeah, also you don't have to think when you're reciting these racist kind of uh, idioms or whatever they might be because they've already been established. You're just copying something that someone else took mm -hmm. and you're not having to actually think anything. You're just putting a, a label on something. You're right. reading a label you know, or thinking a label. You know what I've always said is that when you know somebody's race, you know about as much of them as if you know their shoe size. Right? You know their shoe size. What does that say about them? Nothing, right? You really don't know because... You're going to throw in culture, ethnicity, nationality, um, political beliefs. And there's so much that make us human, uh, personality type, et cetera, right? So the other big news this week on the opposite end of the spectrum is Samantha Bee. Samantha Bee, the only female late night host in America on TBS, uh, she did a really kind of mean spirited joke against Ivanka Trump. And she's been tweeting her apologies, of course. And what was it? Where does it say? Oh, I have it highlighted here. Uh, so 
Ivanka Trump, who works, this is what she said. Ivanka Trump, who works at the White House, chose to post, I know that Josh has his finger on the button, like I'm actually going to say the exact words she said, but you know I'm not. I'm going to do something that keeps Josh calm because he's going to have a heart attack in there. Ivanka Trump, who works at the White House, chose to post the second most obvious tweet we've seen this week, says B. Uh, You know, Ivanka, that's a beautiful photo of you and your child. But let me just say, one mother to another, do something about your dad's immigration practices. You feckless, I can say feckless, is that a word? Uh, Yeah, I got a thumbs up from Josh. And then the C word. Okay, um, I, I my funny the funniest tweet because I love Twitter and its craziness is somebody in the UK tweeted when you say feckless C word in the UK. Isn't that just the same as saying hello? <laughs> but here we don't talk about women's genitalia in that way. You know, the more positive ever worked for has to write that on the check. I mean, I'm, I think that pretty much proves that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That we're okay there. Okay, so although bank tellers sometimes say, what is... Um... Anyway, so... Um, but what's interesting is the press's reaction, right? Samantha B was not pulled off the air. Samantha B was not criticized. In fact, she's going to be on the air on Thursday. Um, I'm going to say more about this when we come back, because Josh is now saying we got to go to break. And then if you are going through a divorce or have gone through a divorce... Can I please give you a little advice, psychological advice, about how to talk to your kids about this? This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Feel free to follow me online. The handle everywhere is Dr. Wendy, like Peter Pan, Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. So just wrapping up uh, how the media handled Samantha B's sexist comment versus Roseanne's racist comment, I have this theory that right now our culture, despite the movement of the Me Too movement or the, the uh, progress of the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, um, I think we're more sensitive to racism. We're making greater strides there, maybe there's more work to do there. I don't know. But I just find, and you know, I remember years ago when uh, Obama was running against Hillary in the Democratic primary, and people would say, oh, who do you think is going to be the candidate, Hillary or Obama? And I remember saying distinctly, oh, come on. America's a much more sexist com- uh, country than it is racist. And uh, people were like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean? And I just had this instinct. Remember, Women got the vote in this country 50 years after black men. Think about that. That's amazing. But for whatever reason right now, we are more, um, it seems, uh, damning of people who make racist comments. We're intolerant of people who make racist comments. Then we are people who make sexist comments. No, no reason why I don't judge one as being more valuable than the other. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying. I noticed it. It's just a human behavior thing. Yeah, it's like a actually super intriguing uh, dynamic, I think, as yeah. to why that would be. I mean, I yeah. hate to think about it, actually. I know. It's fascinating. All right, so can we talk about our kids? So if 50% of our marriages are breaking up, people often say to me, so are you, like, only pro-marriage, Dr. Wendy? Is, like, marriage all you care about? Is it only? I'm like, no. There's no one right way. And I always maintained 
that even the most monogamous of humans may have two or three long stints of monogamy across their very long lifespan with some times of mate selection in between. But the best nest we have for our children right now is, um, is marriage because we don't have enough social supports for single parents and single parents risk slipping into poverty and that hurts kids more than anything. So despite the fact that I say that 50% of marriages still break up with kids in the nest. And I know we think we're always saying the right things to our kids, but there are a few things we need to remember to say. We need to repeat them. We need to say them over and over to our children. So let me go through a few of these. One, it's not your fault. This can't be understated. We need to say it over and over because every child blames themselves when their parents divorce. Number two, Both of us still love you. It's important that they hear this from both parents on a regular basis. They need to hear that they are still loved. Three, you will not be placed in the middle. We need to not pull our kids into the middle of this mess. Please keep your kids out of it. Number four, this marriage was not a mistake. When people talk about the, the ex in a negative way and say, oh, I wish I hadn't married him or this marriage was a big mistake, you know what you've just said? You, my child, you're a mistake. That's what a kid hears. So we can't say that. You need to also tell your kids that they are a priority and that both of you will not beat up on the other parent verbally. So you cannot trash your ex in front of your kid. Your kid is half them. Anything you say about their other parent is you saying it directly to them about them. And finally, always tell your kids that you'll answer all their questions. Kids are little sponges and they pick up stuff in the silence and they wonder what's going on. Explain to them in age-appropriate ways what is going on. Um, It's hard enough for people to parent when they're living together But when you're divorced, it's even harder. So please, please, please put your kids first. All right. Are you thinking of breaking up or divorcing? Maybe you've just been going out a few months. Maybe you're married. Give me a call. In the next segment, I'm going to be taking your calls for our Should I Stay or Should I Go segment. The number is 1-800-520-1KFI. That's 1-800-520-1534. Phone lines are opening now. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Lair Perel has the news for us. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. If you would like me to weigh in on your relationship, should you stay or should you go, give me a call at 1-800-520-1KFI. That's 800-520-1534. And while I'm waiting for you guys to be brave and call in, let me say this about your relationships. We know this That we are wired to bond. That there is nothing better for our physical health and our mental health than having secure, intimate relationships. But we also know that some of our relationship choices may not be the best for us because we may have suffered some early childhood trauma and, and a relationship is basically based on the kind of blueprint for love that was manufactured early in life. And so as a result, we may have 
we cho- might have chosen something that's familiar but painful. It might involve abuse, neglect. Uh, it might be something that's, uh, you know, as I said, emotionally abused or physical abuse. And sometimes the people who have sort of the most attachment anxiety can't tell if this is good or not. Or they look at just the external thing. Well, you know, they're a good provider, or she's a great mother for the kids, but I'm not being, you know, really satiated emotionally by this relationship. So plenty of people sit in relationships wondering, should they stay or should they go? If you're one of those people, you can give me a call at 1-800-520-1KFI. And they, interestingly enough, that people who have an insecure attachment style sometimes stay in painful relationships for years and years and years and years. Psychologists look at people's attachment style and sort of gently put them in different categories. Like some people have what we would call is a secure attachment style. And that means that they can give care and receive care comfortably. They tend to have good communication skills. Um, They're not... They don't get like big emotional flooding and reactive and impulsive when things aren't going well. They're able to sort of go, huh, that's usually not how my mate acts. I wonder what's going on there, right? And they spend time. They have good conflict resolution skills. Don't we all wish that we had this secure attachment style? Unfortunately, it's estimated that only about maybe 20, 30% of us have that kind of attachment style. Instead, other people have what's called Uh, an insecure attachment style, which might be exhibited by either a lot of anxiety around relationships, worry, you know, vigilantly watching the clock, you know, when did they text last? Where is he? What's happening? Um, Or there, you know, what have you done for me lately? Where are my needs not being taken care of, right? Or avoidance. You know, there are plenty of people out there that can seek relationships where they have a satisfying, somewhat satisfying sexual relationship, but they're not emotionally able to be intimate. There are people out there who, because of biological predisposition, are just able to, uh, and I saw a call just come in. You can call back, you know, 1-800-520-1KFI, 800-520-1534. You guys are shy today. It's always, what happens is the first caller calls in, and then like the whole board lights up. Because everyone's like, oh, it's not that bad. She's actually nice. She's not going to hurt me. Um, (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. So what's fascinating, though, is that people who have an anxious attachment style, the ones that are like, where are you? What's happening? What have you done for me lately? Are you breaking up with me? And they, they feel very insecure about the relationship. They often tend to be most attracted to those who are emotionally avoidant, the ones who are like kind of there and not there, inconsistent with their communication, Um, deflective, not actually giving a lot of emotional intimacy. And when people fall into that relationship together, sometimes they stay together for decades. Nobody's really happy. One is feeling completely smothered. The one is feeling completely engulfed with longing and wanting this dream relationship that they imagine. They're kind of in love with hope. And the other one is just feeling always engulfed and they're trying to avoid the person and they get married they have kids they uh you know example they exemplify this kind of relationship to their children and um sadly both people are in pain 
Now, there are other kinds of relationships that are just not good nests for children. And these are what I call the toxic relationships. The toxic relationships, and they're not good nests for the adults either in it. Uh, Toxic relationships might include, um, you know, if there's severe substance abuse, physical abuse, chronic cheating, emotional abuse, child abuse. I'm sorry, if you call me with that, I'm going to weigh in that you shouldn't be together because it's not, not a healthy place. Uh, we have a call in. Let's go right to Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Oh, no, Amanda. Not yet. Okay. You're saying I should wait till after the break because now, now I see the lines lighting up. 1-800-5201-KFI. Let me weigh in. Should I stay or should I go? Um, so when, when a nest is toxic, I'm going to say you can't heal within the nest. Oh, now I'm going to take Amanda. Okay. Hi, Amanda. It's Dr. Wendy. <laughs> Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How thank, are you? Thanks for being the brave one to call in first. Tell me what's going on with your oh. relationship. Um, so we've been together a couple years now. Uh, and I don't know, I guess I'm just not sure whether I'm supposed to, whether I'm missing out on something else. I mean, it's comfortable, obviously. We've been together for a while, but you know what I mean? I don't feel, I just feel like maybe there's something that I'm missing because I feel like I'm maybe just settling. I don't know. I just feel like I put so much effort in constantly. Like I'm putting 110% in all the time and I feel like I get like 20% back. Ah, that doesn't sound very fair. Okay. Let me ask you a couple things. Are you dating or living together? Uh, well, well, living together, I guess. You live together now or you maintain two places, but you're doing a stay over relationship back and forth. I mean, we pretty much stay every single night together. We were living together for about a year, and then we had, like, a brief breakup. Uh, so I moved out, but I pretty much stay. We pretty much stay together every night, again, together. Okay. So if you're doing all the work, may I ask you why? I don't know. I mean, I think in general I am a people pleaser in that uh-huh. Like, I, I do, I, I, I tend to do that in most relationships. You know, I, like, put on my personal things. I do everything for them. I do their laundry, but not my laundry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do, like, clean their house, but not my house. Like, You're a typical woman. Okay, let me say this, Amanda. Have you ever heard the saying, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate? And I'm thinking that you need to work on your relationship negotiation skills And at the same time, deal with your sense of, you know what? You might negotiate and you might lose, meaning that the relationship may end over your negotiations, but you can't spend your life giving 110% to somebody who's only giving 20% back. So I would put some boundaries and the boundaries go on yourself. Stop doing his laundry, you know, put a deadline for him to do certain things. If he's not doing them, then you have to back it up with a behavioral consequence, which is start sleeping at your own place more, right? Because again, I know I'm sounding like a grandmother from the 1950s, but why should he buy the cow if he's getting the milk for free? So Amanda, I know it's hard, but um, I wish you the best with this. And I think you need to learn to negotiate what you deserve. All right, when we come back, we have a few more callers. If you have a relationship question, if you're wondering to stay together or not, call 1-800-5201-KFI. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news. Should I stay or should I go now? KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. And now, of course, the phones have lit up. You guys see it start shy and then you pile on. Hey, Greg, it's Dr. Wendy. How are you? Well. Good. What can I help you with? 
Okay, long story short, married 20 years, both kids up and out of college, mm-hmm. uh, have a business with my wife, and uh, had a three-year affair, mm-hmm. and uh, got back together, um, and I'm just a prisoner, I think, I feel. A prisoner? I can't be trusted oh, oh, oh. in the marriage. Yeah. I'm no longer trusted. I can't do anything to earn the trust back. I'm being mothered and managed and overseen and... You know, I just how I don't long know. since uh, this affair ended? Uh, ended four months. Four, four months ago. Oh, only four months ago. Okay, so this kind of—I'll just say a couple things that I'm hearing right away. Uh, first of all, remember I always say that even the most monogamous of humans may have two or three long stints of monogamy with mate selection in between, and that fifty percent divorce rate that you hear thrown around a lot is usually when the empty nest happens because you've kind of outgrown the purpose of the relationship, which was raising kids. So unless couples reboot their relationship and find an, and repurpose it and find a new goal for themselves, it becomes really difficult. But on top of that, you added the fact that, you know, you were obviously bored and thought by adding the excitement you would have this affair. I'm, I'm putting ideas and thoughts into your mind and head there, Greg. Um, and so, but for whatever reason, you chose to not end your marriage and instead get back. And now you're a prisoner in this marriage. So I have two things to say. One is healing this kind of betrayal can take a really long time, and you should only do it with a professional, honestly, because you will be consumed with guilt in your behavior. She will be consumed with anger and retribution in her behavior, and it's very, very difficult to get past. But some People have actually reported that an affair helped save their relationship because while they were in the forgiveness process, when they were dealing with vulnerability, it actually helped them grow closer. So that's the first thing I'd say. Don't do anything yet until you spend more time and work with a professional to see if you can heal through this. But having said that, if you're still feeling like this, I don't think I even need to weigh in. You know you're done. I hear it in your voice. Right now, you're done. But I would like to advise that you do some more work on healing before you're finally officially done. I'm sorry, Greg, that you're going through this. Thank you so much for calling. Louie, it's Dr. Wendy. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Uh, Great. This isn't exactly uh, should I stay or should I leave. It's a relationship question? Okay. It's a relationship question. I've been married uh, for 35 years. Congrats. That's uh, a hard thing. Thanks. Great relationship overall, and two kids are out of the house. We've been empty nesters for about uh, nearly 10 years. And, yeah, can I ask uh, you what you guys did to repurpose your relationship when the nest got empty? Um, I, I guess from my standpoint, you know, I, I, work just kind of takes a lot of uh, my time, and we have other interests that we've developed. and you know, Individual just, interests or couple interests? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of individual interests. Yeah, we're working on some trying to develop some more couples things. Uh-huh. But um, th- one one thing that you had said earlier that kind of struck me was about how people are wired. You know, some people are wired to I don't remember the exact way you described to it. Bond to bond in a certain way. Bond freely, and others have to work at it. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I think that's kind of the situation between uh, myself and my wife. I've always been. I'm the kind of person that, you know, you know, can give love freely and will hug and kiss 
people and my family brought me up that way. Whereas my wife, um, she's almost, uh, you know, the opposite in that, um, she doesn't, you know, uh, you know, act that way with people. She's not as demonstrative, both physically and verbally. Exactly. And which is one of the reasons why you're attracted to her, by the way. Because on some oh. level, there's a piece of you that's kind of like, I'm going to get her to love me. And remember this, for those out there who have a kind of anxious attachment style, that dream and long that this lover will turn around and give to them in exactly the way they're in love with hope and they think this person's going to turn around. You might not be prepared for it. In other words, that might feel so foreign. So, um, but what is your question? Well, that was kind of it. I mean, it's like, uh, do I... You know, it, 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 it in turn has caused me a little bit of, you know, questioning and insecure feeling because she doesn't, you know, return things as freely as I, mm-hmm. I give them to her. But, you know, do I, do I let that bother me or do I just kind of, like you said, opposites attract and yep. just kind of learn to... And what you're describing to me, Louie, is exactly what it feels like to have that kind of insecure attachment style. You're like, I don't know. Does it feel right? Does it not feel right? Is this good? Is it not? Because you don't feel 100% secure in your relationship. My answer to you is that both of you can have better communication skills if you get into therapy and you can actually change your attachment style. If you could express these things to her, and I always say, in an office with a professional, always best. And if she can talk about what it feels like to be pursued by you and dealing with maybe some of your anxiety, or um, then you guys can grow, I really think. And who's thrown away 35 years? That's some good investment. Thank you so much for calling, Louie. I really appreciate it. Okay, that wraps up our Should I Stay or Should I Go? When we come back, let's talk about play. Adult play. Not what you're thinking. Just playful intelligence. I have a special guest with us. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. KFI AM 640. Welcome back to the show. This is Dr. Wendy Walsh. And a book came across my desk a while back that I was very excited to see. Because it is everything I believe about human nature and human behavior. The book is called Playful Intelligence. And there is this idea as adults that we need to get serious. We need to be serious people. We need to be grown up. We need to have responsibilities. And before you know it, we are on this treadmill of life where we are doing everything we are supposed to be doing. But we're not having fun anymore. And we're not looking through, looking at life through a lens of playfulness. And so I was very excited to read this book. I'd like to welcome my guest, the author, Dr. Anthony DeBenedet. Did I say it right? That's perfect. <laughs> Hi, Wendy. You, you got see, it. I'm, I'm half Canadian, so I, I see the French first. So That's I right. always keep wanting right. to say DeBenedet. Okay, DeBenedet. Yeah, there we go. Good. So tell me, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of touched on it right there in your little intro, in your intro, in that oh, I you was, had the same feelings as me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I felt like my life was just blurring into this kind of crazy mosaic of busyness and exhaustion and and perfectionism. And I, you know, as I look back, I actually think I was on the verge of kind of full burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like seventy percent there, mm-hmm. and. 
this was probably you know this was about five years ago, and then and then as I kind of dug a little deeper, what I was finding was that I I had lost the balance of kind of this you know seriousness and playfulness. I mean, as adults, I think we all have to have some seriousness. You know, it's not all fun, and you know, it's you, you have to have you know some seriousness. There's serious moments, in adulthood, of course, just like there are in childhood too. But you have to be able to balance that um, with some lighter, lighter times too. And I was, and I my scale was really, really tipping towards seriousness. I felt like every decision I was making was like the biggest decision ever. And, you know, and every decision I was making for with, with my kids and mm-hmm. with my wife and everything, it just felt like, wow, it, everything feels real heavy. And that's that was really the inspiration for it. Um, I don't necessarily recommend writing a book to try to save <laughs> off burnout. But, but it helped you. It helped me. So before um, we get into yeah. um, the five playful qualities that you talk about in the book, Playful Intelligence, um, let's talk, you know, you're a physician. Let's talk about the neuroscience of play. Why do we need play and why did it evolve in us? Right. So I I have not done this proper research, but it, the research shows and the anthropologists and biological neuroscientists show that play is really something that began as a way to connect with other people, mm-hmm. um, other Homo sapiens, we're going way back. <laughs> uh, and so some of the, you know, a lot of the neural circuitry is is really kind of hardwired into us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all social beings. We have, you know, we have to kind of exist in connection. Even the, the deepest introverts, you know, have to have some, you know, existence with other people and some connection. So, you know, they've and, done rat studies where they yeah. left some rats with very few friends and the baby rats, and then they had others just absolutely playing and going wild with all kinds of apparatus exactly. and lots of friends. And guess what they found out later in life? That the ones that were more isolated as children just had lower mating success. Right. So no, we're, we're, totally we're right. trying out relationships. I mean, right. I like to say we are never alone. In fact, there are always, however many humans in the room, as many brains functioning together as one giant brain. And yeah. we need each other. We are this socially right. wired group. Right. And so what happens is we create these structures like work and like freeways and we right. start going along freeways and through work and we turn up at the time we're supposed to leave at the time. We go through these what seem like functional social structures, but then we leave out the play and right. it doesn't and it, satiate us. It doesn't. You're, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I, you know, play is a way to say to somebody else, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a coworker, that it, I want to connect with you. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if I make a mistake. And it's okay if you make a mistake. And that's, the, that's really the, the wonder and the greatness of playfulness and play is that it's, it's not about a winning. It's not about a competition. It's about a connection with other people. So in in your book, Playful Intelligence, you come up with five playful qualities. Now, they are, I'll just list them quickly, imagination, sociability, humor, spontaneity, and wonder. And before we break each of them down, and I I want you to give us a little life hack, maybe one for each that could help us. um, Can we talk about, can our personalities really change? Can we learn to be humorous? Can we learn to be more social? Well, 
the data on that, mostly from twin studies in um, actually in Sweden and Finland, says that yes, we can. Uh, that probably about fifty percent of our personality um, is from our parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's biologic, and then fifty percent of it is. I don't like some people will say fifty percent is up to us, and I don't think it's completely that simple. I think that other fifty percent is a uh, is kind of a combination of a lot of things: our experiences, our environments, the people we're around, and then also us too. Um, but in that sense, fifty percent, yeah, is kind of in our control. And you know, there is this. You know, Martin Seligman has this whole area called uh, learned optimism. Right. And it, it's not that pessimists, pessimists, by the way, think that everything bad is going to happen at all times and optimists think everything good is going to happen all time. It's that pessimists believe that they don't have control over the outcome. It's like if they fail a test, it's not that they didn't study hard enough and they should study harder. It's like I'm a bad person. I'll never be able to do this is their thought process. So at the very least, I think we can teach people that they do have some control over there. Absolutely. Life. Right. So let's yep. go through some of these qualities. Let's start with imagination. Any suggestion or life hack for us to improve our imagination? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'll start off. And I, I'll, the biggest thing is, is that, or what I found in kind of the research for the book is that playfulness works a lot differently now that we're adults than when we were kids. And I think that I went into it with the expectation that I would, you know, become a goofier person or I would become, um, more, you know, funnier or, you know. You mean really, you're not suddenly breaking out in right? somersaults in front of your friends? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and, I, and what I found was is that those who are kind of have this balance of playfulness and seriousness and are pretty good at what I call playfully intelligent people, um, they, they find that these qualities that you mentioned that, that are the foundation of the book work in different ways. And you meant to use the word life hack, and that's, that's kind of what the book does a lot, is it kind of explains how these qualities are actually working in our adult life. Same circuits, interestingly enough. So, you know, the same circuit that you use to, in, you know, when you were a kid and in terms of, um, uh, you know, playing dress-up or doing a pirate adventure or some, you know, a puppet show, mm-hmm. those imaginative circuits now as adults serve a different role. But mm-hmm. it's really, like, for instance, reframing. So the two kind of life hacks for imagination are reframing problems, mm-hmm. and then the second one is empathy. So, Oh, I love this. You say empathize with your enemy. Yeah. I'm a big one. When, when people are mean to me, I literally right. say to myself, huh, I wonder what's going on with them. What's up in their day? I never say, I must be a mad person. It's probably bad because they could be hating me for good reason. Uh, Listen, uh, can you stay with us for another segment? We have to go to a break. Okay, we'll be right back. Our guest is Dr. Anthony DeBenetton. (laughs) I'll get it out at some point. DeBenedet. And the book is called Playful Intelligence. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news. By AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. You got two doctors with you, the author of Playful Intelligence, Dr. Anthony DeBenedict. I did it. Uh, hi, Dr. Anthony. We're back again. We hi. talked about adding imagination and improving it. 
The other quality that you think adds playfulness to our adult life is sociability. How can people improve that? What if they're naturally an introvert? Yeah, I, you know, sociability is one of the of the five is the one that's not really a, a behavior. It's kind of an action, if anything. And what I found in that in in that research was that playfully intelligent people they really have two kind of cornerstones to their social interactions. And the first is, is that there's a, uh, I wouldn't say a resistance, but a their first impressions of others are kind of held in check. Um, and sometimes that's purposefully, sometimes that's kind of subconsciously. And then the second is that there's a lot of humility going around <laughs> in their social exchanges, is that it, it there's a lot of self-deprecation and there's mm. a lot of, yeah. And I think that that's those kind of two things where they're not, you know, first impressions, of course, are all stereotypes, right? And sometimes those are right on. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes our stereotypes are good or our experience that we have they are bringing to a social interaction is good, but sometimes they're off. And I, I, at least in the playfully intelligent people that I was, you know, that I was kind of studying, they really try to hold back on some of those kind of knee-jerk reactions and knee-jerk impressions of others. And then they also don't do a lot of talking about themselves, <laughs> which is great. Right. Uh, and I think that that's, that kind of opens up, you know, starts the social exchange on the right foot mm-hmm. and allows both parties to kind of have a sense of, you know, a sense of belonging there in that interaction. One of the suggestions you make in your book, which I'm sorry, my eyes just jumped right there, to improve sociability, as you said, listen more, especially to women. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Can you describe Holy, that? Yeah. Um, I, I am a firm believer that, and this, I hope, doesn't anger all the men who may be listening, but I think that women are our best models of how to, to kind of interact in a way that is built on listening, that's built on powerless communication. And what I mean by that is that communication that does not, you know, that is um, that, that is kind of a give and take, that's a, you know, a back and forth, that's a building, that's a we're working toward the same common goal. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that, that at least what I was seeing in the social interactions is that um, that women really were phenomenal at that. Well, we actually use more words during the run of a day than you guys do. (laughs) (laughs) That's been documented. We have a wider vocabulary. We use more words. We're less action-oriented, though. But we are, you know, because, you know, raising children is all about building villages around those children. And so women are particularly adept. So you're right. Tell the guys to just pay attention to what the girls are doing and copy them. (laughs) (laughs) I do have it in there. You can find that. That's so funny. All right. Humor. Now, you, some yeah. people, you know, I had lunch with a friend the other day, and I love to have him around because he's one of those people that makes those really humorous connections all the time. So you're just giggling the whole time because he's so good at, with his references. But not everybody yeah. has that. So right. what do you suggest? What I suggest for that, and I was, I'm kind of like that too, um, and what I suggest is having a low threshold for humor. That's one thing I talk about in the humor chapter is if you feel like, well, humor is not really a big part of my life. I don't really use it as a connecting force. I'm not, you know, I'm not using it as a resiliency tool. And what I would say is, is see what happens if you just try to, um, you know, deliberately lower your threshold for humor. What does that mean? That means 
laughing. Laugh at stupid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> laugh at, you know, laugh at, take yourself a little less seriously. You know, that's, that's like the big thing with the whole, with playful intelligence is it's not like you don't have to take life less seriously. Just take yourself a little less seriously. And, and children do that yeah. very well. They're great models well. for that. Like my 14 year old will just crack up at what I'm like, right. what? Like, this is the dumbest <laughs> thing. So I just laugh with her. Okay. We have to skip ahead because we're running yeah. out of time because the last okay. thing I want to talk about is wonder. And this yeah. mini thing, t- t- explain. Right. So going just full circle back to how we said that, you know, the, the behaviors work differently now that we're adults than when we were children. And Wonder's a great example of that. Wonder when we were kids is all about launching into curiosity and orbits of learning. Wonder, experiencing wonder as adults and experiencing the playfulness of wonder is all about grounding us and slowing us down. And urging kind of it's one of the you know, it's one of few emotions that your behaviors that actually urges inaction and through that inaction you know we it gives us time to re- regroup and reflect and then become more inspired and trusting and supportive um, one of the things you say is you say remember yeah. the mini you how you were as a child in wonder i have to go to a break they're telling me to hurry but i just want hurry. to tell you really i have this technique and i didn't know it would end up in your book but uh, cool. whenever I'm sort of like think I have problems, the luckiest day for me is when I look down and find a hard working line of ants. And yes. I focus on those ants right. and I, I feel that. so bad for that one that's carrying the really big twig and the others aren't even <laughs> helping. And all of a sudden my problems are just not important because I see those ants. <laughs> but that's what going mini means to me. Or I'll just look at leaves yeah. or I'll find a bird anywhere, no matter how I can be at in the middle of a busy city, pumping gas, smelling fumes, thinking my life is awful. And I will scan the trees and find one bird having a good day. And I key yeah. into that bird. You hit the nail on the head. And it's the idea of lowering your threshold for wonder, just like you lower the threshold for humor. And it's, that can be conscious. That well, it is It be... is in me, for sure. Yes. <laughs> They're making me rap. Thank you so much okay. for being here. The book is called Playful mm-hmm. Intelligence, Dr. Anthony O. Oh, say it. De Benedet. De Benedet. De Benedet. <laughs> Your whole life. <laughs> we'll laugh yeah, about it. Exactly. Have a great evening. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. If you know me, you know that I'm a little bit obsessed with pro-aging, with aging healthfully. Look, our life spans, our potential to live a long time, hasn't necessarily changed. In other words, the average human biological structure has an upper end of about uh, 120 years. Only a few lucky people on the planet get there, though. We're unlucky. Some of them have the last 10 or 20 years in a lot of pain, so maybe not. Uh, But life expectancy for the general population has continued to go up. The number one reason is because of immunizations, of course. So I'm sorry to the anti-vax community out there, but millions of lives have been saved and are continuing to be saved because of um, infant immunizations. And other advances in medicine. But I'm also obsessed with having a long, healthy life before decline. One of the courses I teach at Cal State Channel Islands is developmental psychology, also known as lifespan psychology. And I also teach psychology of health counseling. 
And I put up this graph of a lifespan of two identical twins, two brothers. And one lived a life that was mostly sedentary, that was involving too much sugar and grains, uh, grains including the ones made into alcohol, uh, the one smoked, etc. And we saw that even though they had the same DNA, they had, um, I think it was a, a heart attack or a stroke that happened around the same age, but the healthy twin made a full recovery from it. And you saw on this graph that the last 25 to 30 years of one brother's life was filled with pain, suffering, disability. The other twin with identical DNA lived very well and had only sickness in the last two years of his life. And so this is what we all talk about when we talk about healthy aging or pro-aging. Now, most of the research has been on physical things that we can do or take. And, you know, I won't go on and on and on about cancer's favorite food, sugar, and about the thing that turns into cholesterol, sugar, and all grains turn into sugar. Sugar's a toxin. Okay, enough said there about diet. That's all we need to know. The story is not about fat. It's about sugar. I eat a high-fat diet, and I have very low cholesterol. So exercise is the big one. Exercise actually slows cellular aging because the opposite actually makes your cells replicate so much. So exercise has been shown to really cause great health and longevity for many, many people. But now there's research into the psychology. What kind of thinking patterns, what kind of personalities tend to live longer? A new study that was just published in um, a, uh, a journal called International Psychogeriatrics psychogeriatrics sounds like they're all crazy they're not (laughs) um talked partly about you know i've talked on the show about the blue zones these five areas on the planet where a disproportionate amount of people live to be over the age of 100 and i've talked about their commonalities in their lifestyles Uh, but this this particular research uh found this other area that's not officially a blue zone but certainly a strong contender uh it is salento italy where one in 10 people live to be over the age of 100. Think about it. 10% of the population lives to be over the age of 100. Just to put it in perspective, here in the United States, do you know what percentage of people live to be over the age of 100? Joey, take a guess. Uh, I'll say 8%. (laughs) 0.02%. 0.02%. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it's eating that high-sugar food. Just going to throw that in there. Okay, so what they did is they interviewed all these people on the island. They had psychologists over there, and they tried to talk to them about what is it in their personalities. They quantified them. And they found seven-ish habits of these people who live to be over the age of 100. Similar personality types. First of all, resilience. This is the belief that you can withstand obstacles that get in your way. Joey, have you ever seen that marshmallow test that they, there's a great video on YouTube where they put marshmallows in front of little kids and they tell them I'm going to leave the room. And if you don't eat the marshmallow, 
then when I come back, you will get two marshmallows. And they vary the amount of time. And these poor little kids are suffering. Some of them smell it. Some of them are banging their heads against the table, bopping their legs. Some of them just don't even waste. They just grab that marshmallow and put it in their mouth. And this study is one saying, well, if this ability to delay gratification will show up in life and more success, etc. But what the researchers on this study haven't gotten out to the general public is this. If they only tell the kids, these are toddlers, to imagine that the marshmallow is not there, then they can all wait it out. Really? Right? Yeah. Wow. That's how cool our brain is, right? So this is resilience, the belief that you can withstand the obstacles and be given the tools for the obstacles. When the Great Recession happened, some people had, you know, worse health because of it, worse mental and physical health. And other people said, huh, this is a recession, as I did. And I said, it will come back. Things will get better. But for now, I am being given the gift of time. So I took the bold move (laughs) in the worst of the recession, took a little line of credit out of my house, and I went to culinary school because it's what I've always wanted to do. And I said, I'm being given the gift of time. What will I do with the time? Okay, obviously, I have that other thing that is associated with longevity, optimism, the belief that things will generally go well. Even though those who are pessimists think that we are a little Pollyanna, guess what? We live longer and have better health. So it, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. The researchers also found good relationships. And I say this all along. That's why I talk about relationships all day long. Good relationships extend your life. And finally, love of the land, nature lovers, and willingness to work. There's no retiring for these people until the very end. Having a purpose, a sense of meaning, getting up in the morning, get dressed, go someplace. This will help you live longer. Okay, when we come back. There is a new law in France that might freak you out. If you're going on vacation in France, do not do this or you will have a hefty fine. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news. Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm damaged. There's a pain where there once was a heart. KFI AM 640. We are into the home stretch here on the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Please keep in touch with me. I am online everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and the moniker everywhere is just Dr. Wendy Walsh. You know the short form for Dr. Wendy Walsh. And uh, I'm always here on Wednesdays on the Gary and Shannon show in the 1 o'clock hour. But I love when I go to these KFI events like I did the Lifteek event on uh, Saturday. And I met so many listeners who are like, I listen to you. I feel like you're my girlfriend and we're talking together. And I'm like, oh, thank you. You're a real person. You're here. So thank you for listening. But before we go, I found this really interesting story. So if you're planning to travel to France this summer, listen up. The Minister for Gender Equality, Marlene Schiappa, a little while back, tried hard to change sexual consent laws so that minors under the age of 15 who have sex with adults would be presumed not to have given their consent. However, the French, France's lower parliament stopped short of setting a legal age of sexual consent and instead approved a clause in which relations between an adult and a minor under the age of 15 could only be classified as rape if, quote, the victim lacks the ability to give consent. Well, I'm sorry, not fully developed prefrontal cortex means you don't have the ability to give consent to an adult who knows everything. I'm thinking about my 14-year-old daughter. I'm like, she could go to France and get laid by a 21-year-old guy, and it would be legal. Oh, God. Okay. 
So instead, the Minister for Gender Equality, Marlene Schiappa, got another law passed this week. And I don't know what you think about this law, but you think it's she came at it from a different angle. She has made wolf whistling illegal. Joey, can you do a wolf whistle? Because I can't. I... Oh, you're good. Have you had practice? <laughs> Not on the street. <laughs> the fine is 750 euro. That's about $875. And it is to prevent, to help women feel safe on the street and not feel intimidated and not feel harassed. And I will tell you, you know, Joey, you asked me earlier, do I ever get harassed on the street? No. I'm a grown-up woman now, and I wear too much clothes. But let me tell you, when I was young, and I was a model in my 20s, it was so bad that I did not leave my house in the evening unless I was in a car going to another location. I wouldn't go out walking, running, anything, even during the day. And I'm not bragging about me and my looks. I'm thinking it happens to all women, all young women. Even during the day, I was training for triathlons. I'd be riding my bike, training along highways, and cars would come, and the guys would reach out the window to grab my at can't say that word, my booty. and Unbelievable. I mean, I just, oh, my God. I know. So I had an au pair a few years ago, a nice little girl from Canada, and she would go out jogging in my neighborhood and she'd come back like her cheeks red and looking so stressed because she said, it's just not too many construction zones. I'm just being screamed at too much. So as a guy, what do you think about this law? What do I think about the law? No whistling? I mean, it's, I I say at what point do you just stop saying no communication or looking at anyone besides yourself? (laughs) Because honestly, I mean, like they're hitting like every... Every angle here going on and like... Okay, but do you think any guy has ever gotten a girl to go out with him by whistling at her? I think maybe in like 1920 or like 1915, (laughs) one of those old school movies or something, like a Charlie Chaplin movie or something. Right. Yeah, no, I don't... So I think this is just a law to train dumb guys to basically say, dudes, this doesn't make us like you better. I feel like the message still won't be clear, though. I mean, it's just like for these guys. You know, do you know how to get a guy, a, a woman to go out with you? Just, guys, are you listening? I'm listening. <laughs> Make her feel safe. That's the number one thing. Because no matter how far women have progressed with um, education and economically, y- you guys are still physically stronger than us, right? You could, if you chose to right now, kill me easily. I'm just saying. That's just a- And the back of every woman's mind in her deep unconscious lies the fact that the man she is sleeping beside tonight could kill her at any moment. Now, I know there are men out there who are like, know what? My wife would be the one to kill me. Trust me. <laughs> Women do have anger and we have weapons. But, uh, <laughs> but I just mean that you are physically stronger. And male anger, which was designed for aggression, for protection of the tribe way back when, and for killing angry beasts who might be attacking and for killing protein, that male anger, if turned against us, could be a terrible thing. Right? So it's there. It just lies back. It's teeny little place in the very back of our brain somewhere. And so if you want a woman to go out with you, she needs to trust you. And how do you show your trust? Well, if you meet her online, first of all, put out your full name, your real age, don't lie, and give her everything Googleable possible before you even message her so that she can go, oh, okay, he's a real person. I Googled him. It's good. He's not married or not a criminal or whatever. That's a great point. You know, I, I do partake sometimes in these dating uh, apps. You know, mm-hmm. Everybody does. Out, you know, everybody's but, <laughs> there. One of the things I've noticed now uh, from girls, uh, they're saying if a guy doesn't post a link to his Instagram account, I'm not even going to look at his profile because you know we're not 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. They all put their Instagram profiles now. Oh, yeah. And some of them just say, my full name is XYZ. Please Google me. They'll put it in their profile. Exactly. All right. So if you're going to France, keep your whistles in. Otherwise, you'll be paying $875. I'll see you next Sunday. I'm always here from 4 to 6. And I'm here with Gary and Shannon on Wednesdays from in the 1 o'clock hour. Thank you so much for being with me. It's always my pleasure. This has been the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Mo Kelly is next.